0: you this morning a message that I hope will be a help. We'll take our reading here a pretty long passage of scripture so stay with me if you could uh, but I want to I want to read this scripture and then I'll announce the title of the message I'm going to sing this morning as well and uh, so we're going to start in verse 8 of Acts chapter 27 and then we're going to go down. Uh, through verse 44, so all the way to the end of the chapter. I know that's a long passage, and for those of you that maybe you can't stand that long, please uh, feel free to be seated. It's fine. I do want to say how wonderful it is to see Dave and Jean Law uh, here today, dear friends of ours for 25 years now, Mrs. Law, brother and sister Law, and uh, they've been such an integral part of our life. We'll be preaching tonight at Mountain View Baptist Church, our home church where I was saved and sent out of, and uh, they're members there. And uh they came down to this morning to hear me i said you didn 't have to come fifty miles i 'm going to be up there tonight amen and uh Miss Law was just mentioned as she her back bothers her, and uh, she 's not able to do two services like happens sometimes, but i we love you folks, and they've been such a such a part of our life. remember we're at our graduation from Bible college and They've just always been there. We appreciate them so very much. Verse number 8, we'll start in Acts chapter 27. I'll read the uh, even-numbered verses. You read the odd-numbered verses with me, and we'll read down through the end of the chapter. Acts chapter 27, verses 8 through 44. And hardly passing it, came unto a place which is called the Fair Havens. Nigh whereunto was the city of Lycia. Now when much time was spent, and when sailing was now dangerous, because the fast was now already passed, Paul admonished them and said unto them, Sirs, I perceive that this voyage will be with hurt and much damage, not only of the lading of the ship, but also of our lives. Never. Nevertheless, the centurion believed the master and the owner of the ship more than those things which were spoken by Paul. And because the haven was not commodious to winter in, the more part advised to depart thence also, if by any means they might attain to Phoenicia, and there to winter, which is in haven of Crete, and lieth toward the southwest and northwest. And when the south wind blew softly, Supposing that they had obtained their purpose, loosing thence, they sailed close by to Crete. But not long after, there arose against it a tempestuous wind called Eurycladon. And when the ship was caught and could not bear up into the wind, we let her drive. And running under a certain island, which is called Clauda, We had much work to come by the boat, which when they had taken up, they used helps undergirding the ship and fearing lest they should fall into the quicksands, strike sail, and so were driven. And we being exceedingly tossed with a tempest, the next day they lightened the ship. And the third day we cast out with our own hands the tackling of the ship, and when neither sun nor stars in many days appeared, and no small tempest lay on us, all hope that we should be saved was then taken away. But after long abstinence, Paul stood forth in the midst of them and said, Sirs, ye should have hearkened unto me. And not have loosed from Crete, and to have gained this harm and loss. And now I exhort you to be of good cheer, for there shall be no loss of any man's life among you but the ship. For there stood by me this night the angel of God, whose I am and whom I serve, saying, Fear not, Paul, thou must be brought before Caesar. And lo, God hath given thee all them that sail with thee. Wherefore, sirs, be of good cheer, for I believe God, that it shall be even as it was told me. Howbeit, we must be cast upon a certain island. But when the fourteenth night was come, as we were driven up and down in Adria about midnight, the shipmen deemed that they drew near to some country and sounded and found it 20 fathoms. And when they had gone a little further, they sounded again and found it 15 fathoms. Then fearing lest we should have fallen upon rocks, they cast four anchors out of the stern and wished for the day. And as the shipmen were about to flee out of the ship, when they had let down the boat into the sea under color as though they would have cast anchors out of the foreship, ship Paul said to the centurion and to the soldiers, except these abide in the ship, ye cannot be saved. Then the soldiers cut off the ropes of the boat and let her fall off. And while the day was coming on, Paul besought them all to take meat. Saying, This day is the fourteenth day ye have tarried and continued fasting, having taken nothing. Wherefore I pray you to take some meat, for this is for your health, for there shall not an hair fall from your head of any of you. And when he had thus spoken, he took bread and gave thanks to God. In the presence of them all, and when he had broken it, he began to eat. Then were they all of good cheer, and they also took some meat. And we were in all in the ship, two hundred threescore and sixteen souls. And when they had eaten enough, they lightened the ship and cast out the wheat into the sea. And when it was day... They knew not the land, but they discovered a certain creek with the shore into the which they were minded, if it were possible, to thrust in the ship. And when they had taken up the anchors, they committed themselves unto the sea and loosed the rudder bands and hoisted up the mainsail to the wind and made toward shore, and falling into a place where two seas met they ran the ship aground and the forepart stuck fast and remained unmovable but the hinder part was broken with the violence of the waves and the soldiers counsel was to kill the prisoners lest any of them should swim out and escape but the centurion willing to save Paul kept them from their purpose and commanded that they which could swim should cast themselves first into the sea and get to land, and the rest, some on boards and some on broken pieces of the ship. And so it came to pass that they escaped all safe to land. And all God's people said, thank you for standing for so long. You may be seated. The title of my message today is What Everybody Has That Nobody Wants. Have you ever wanted something you couldn't have? Kind of frustrating, isn't it? Amen. Maybe as a kid, you, you wanted that pair of shoes or you, you wanted that bike, and you get as an adult, you maybe wanted that car, particular car or you wanted something. And by the way, uh, much such wants are what we refer to as plain old covetousness, and all God's people said. Luke twelve and verse fifteen says, Take heed and beware of covetousness, for a man's life consisteth not of the things that he hath. Colossians three, five says, covetousness, which is idolatry. First John one, two, or two, fifteen and sixteen tells us, Love not the worlds, neither the things of the world. How many of us have figured out there's a big difference between need and want? My kids say, Dad, I need McDonald's. No human being needs McDonald's. Amen. No human being should have McDonald's. <laughs> Better not go there, Amen. Oh, big difference between need and want. My God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory. Let your conversation be without covetousness and be content with such things as you have. For he has said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. He promised to meet our needs. On the flip side of the coin, have you ever had something you didn't want? Yes, pastor. At my house every year, we have a garage sale for all that stuff that I don't want. Amen. I understand that. I think that's probably how eBay was birthed. Somebody said, I have all this junk that I don't want. I think I'll start selling it off. Amen. I have a friend of mine who pastors in a small Michigan town, and because he had a large family, uh, he uh, took a job on the side, and pastor, he, he ran a garbage route. He ran a garbage route. He picked up garbage and and put it in the garbage truck. And he used to say, uh, I heard him say, he said, you wouldn't believe some of the great stuff that people throw away. And I think somebody said, one man's trash is another man's treasure. Amen? However, the title of our message today brings up an interesting thought. What is it that everyone has but nobody wants? Kind of a riddle, I guess. It's trouble. Trouble. What does everyone have that nobody wants? I don't know any Christian, no matter how spiritual they are, Pastor Parmer, that says, give me a boatload of trouble, please, with an extra side of grief. Nobody says that. Amen? The reality of trouble is this. Job 14.1 says, Man that is born of woman is of a few days and full of trouble. There's a song we sing written by a man named R.E. Winsett. It starts off, it's an old quartet song called Jesus is Coming Soon. And it starts off with, Troublesome times are here, filling men's hearts with fear. You know that song, Amen. We are, Paul said in 2 Corinthians 4 8, we are troubled on every side. So there's the reality of trouble, there's also the equality of trouble. Matthew 5 and 45, Jesus says that ye may be the children of your father, which is in heaven, for he maketh his son to rise on the evil and on the good, and sendeth rain on the just and the unjust. Didn't Job tell his wife, after they lost all ten of their children, and Job lost his health, what, shall we receive good at the hand of the Lord, and shall we not receive evil? Listen, God's people and those without God in this world are both familiar with trouble. You know, godly people lose a child and ungodly people lose a child. There's an equality there, there's a reality of trouble, there's the unpredictability of trouble. Look at our text in verse 13. And when the south wind blew softly, don't you love a nice soft breeze? I do. I really do. This this house that Pastor mentioned we're moving into, It's a uh, we, we've lived in the city on like a quarter acre for uh, nine years now and been blessed to live there. And uh, God opened up a, a unique door for us to be able to buy seven acres of property in the country and got our own little pond and 50 by 70 pole barn and three and a half acres to mow and, th- and three and a half acres to mow and three and a half acres to mow. I'm stuck. I'm sorry. I, I got stuck there for a second. But we have what, what I call... Uh, uh, there's a sun porch that's enclosed in, and uh, Brother Law, there's what I call a cool porch. And that is, it faces east, and it's surrounded by trees, so it only gets light in the morning, and otherwise it's all shaded. And so to sit out there with a nice breeze coming by, it's beautiful. It's just beautiful. But here it says, and when the south wind blew softly, supposing that they had obtained their purpose, loosing thence, they sailed close by Crete. But not long after, there arose against it a tempestuous wind called Euroclidon, the unpredictability of trouble. How many of us could say we were having a great day and then the news of a loved one with cancer came? Got that phone call. Then my loved one died. Then my spouse filed for divorce. Then my job got shipped overseas. Then my investments went south. Boy, but not long after, pastor, there arose against it a tempestuous wind. The unpredictability of trouble. Trouble is an invited guest. I'm sorry, trouble is an uninvited guest that kicks the door to your house open and then refuses to get off your couch. Amen? Certainly there's a, reality of trouble and inequality an of trouble and an unpredictability of trouble. But I'd like to look today at this account of Acts chapter 27 and, and, and maybe look at some things that we can do when trouble comes into our lives. Because it's gonna come. Someone has put it this way, and I, I'm sure you've heard it before. You are either in a storm, just coming out of a storm, or getting ready to go into a storm at some point in your life. If you're not in a storm, wonderful. Praise the Lord, the south wind blew softly. But they come, and they come unpredictable, ladies and gentlemen. You never know when they are come. So I think today's message will help you be able to write down some things, some principles for when trouble comes into our lives. First thing I see in the text, first thing that we ought to do when trouble comes into our lives, is get along with God. Get along with God. Look at verse 21. It says there, but after long abstinence, Paul stood forth in the midst of them and said, Sirs, you should have hearkened unto me and should not have loosed from Crete and gained this harm and loss. Forgive me, ladies and gentlemen. Forgive the apostle here. He says, I told you so. <laughs> Doesn't he? <laughs> you should have listened to me. Paul was the one who told them not to sail, verses 9 and 10. Uh, Paul admonished them, saying, Sirs, I perceive that this voyage will be with, with hurt and much damage, not only the lading of the ship, but also of our lives. But once they made the decision to sail, and once the storm came, Paul got alone with God, didn't he? It says there was long abstinence here, Pastor. What was he doing? Ladies and gentlemen, Prayer ought to be the first response for a Christian, not the last resort. For many of us, prayer is a spare tire. You know when you use a spare tire? Only when you need it. Huh? Boy, that's the way we are. That's the way we are. Listen, Paul, right away here, Pastor. They made the decision. South winds blew. Wonder if he looked off. Said, "Boy, look at those clouds. I better go get along with God. I better go get along with God." When trouble comes into our lives, ladies and gentlemen, we should go to prayer. Listen, what we do in the storm is a good indicator of who we really are. My friend R.B. Willett, we had him for our. Uh, tent meeting last week at our church and he's such a he's such a Barnabas pastor. He's such an encourager. Brother Willette, he's just that way with everybody around him. He's been pastoring pastor in the same church for 43 years. He's retiring next year. I heard him say this. He said, what you are under pressure is what you are. Anybody else get convicted by that statement? Every time I say it, I get convicted. What you are under pressure is what you are. I'll tell you a very personal story and it blessed me to let me know what I was under pressure, Pastor. Before I came here in 2004, a good friend of mine, good, my best friend from Bible College, it was so funny, we were, we were such opposites, but we just loved each other, He's about this tall. And so we used to walk around, you know, it looked like Mutt and Jeff, amen, you know, just for you old timers, know who Mutt and Jeff is, for you new ones, I'm trying to think who would it be, it would be like Shaq and somebody really small, Amen. He was, it was just funny. Well, he went up and he started pastoring a church in northern Michigan, way up here. Michigan looks like a hand. He was up here by the Mackinac Bridge. And uh, he had, he, him and his wife had a baby, and uh, he'd just been there a couple of years. She found out she was expecting again. And uh, he called me one day when I was at work, and uh, he said, hey, Rich, I need to talk to you about something. I said, yes, sir. And he said, we just found out that our baby has something called anencephaly. Anencephaly was is a disease where the, the nothing forms above the eyes, no brain. baby was going to be born without a brain, and of course they recommended an abortion which my friend and his wife just wouldn't do. They said we're going to love him for nine months, and when he's born we'll, we'll have him for as long as we have him and he lived for five hours and I, he asked me if he later on he said would you come out and do the funeral and I did and it's still to this day one of the saddest funerals I've ever done when when a coffin is this big ladies and gentlemen I'm telling you it just breaks your heart anyway it was we got done and and I was going to head down from northern Michigan down to Pontiac to see some Bible college students that we had pastor and uh it was snowing it was late early November no I think it was late November or early December. can't get the dates, but it was, it was snowing up in northern Michigan, and it was fine. You know, I've driven in snow all my life, amen? So we'd get on the highway and head down I-75, and uh, we're driving in, in Gaylord, Michigan, and uh, driving down I-75, and I come around this corner, Brother Ray, and all of a sudden, the, the car begins to wiggle a little bit. And the next thing I knew, I was doing 70 miles an hour sideways, Down the highway, full speed, heading for a huge embankment, which thankfully there was no trees there. And I remember like it was yesterday. It's amazing how those moments in our life are slow motion moments. Amen. You can slow them down. And I remember literally thanking the Lord I had my seatbelt on. I know for you libertarians out there, God bless you, but you ought to put your seatbelt on, trust me, whether you want to or not. and, and I literally jammed myself against the wheel, Pastor, in the seat like this. And I said, oh, Lord, please help me. That's what I said. Now, if you'd gone 15 years earlier, I'd have said some other things. Listen, when trouble comes, and sometimes it's just that quick, Pastor, we got to get along with God just like that. And I rolled that vehicle over and over and over and over, I think four times down in the bank. And I got out of it like a tank, got out of the passenger side window. The only injury I had was I actually, I suffered a neck injury. My chiropractor told me years ago or years after, he said, boy, you suffered a catastrophic neck injury. I was trying to think, what was it? Oh, that must've been it. And uh, my, of course, I hurt from the seatbelt, but I just got a cut on my hand from the glass. That was all. Listen, ladies and gentlemen, When trouble comes, you know, when Peter started to sink, what did he do? Lord, save me. God doesn't mind that one bit. When trouble comes into our life, we say, God. Sometimes we have to say, God, is this me? Hmm? Sometimes we're far from God, and God's trying to get our attention and draw us back. Sometimes it's chase. Sometimes it's just trouble, Pastor. Pastor. But either way, the Apostle Paul here, long abstinence, get alone with God. Number two, love this. He says, and now I exhort you, verse 22 of Acts chapter 27, be of good cheer, for there shall no loss of any man's life among you, but of the ship, for there stood by me this night an angel of God, whom, whose I am and whom I serve. Here stands Paul after the Bible says that all hope that we should be saved was taken away. And what does he say? He says, be of good cheer. All 276 of us are going to live. An angel of God appeared to me. I'm God's child. I'm God's servant. Do you know what he essentially did, Pastor, is he witnessed for God. He witnessed for God. What should you do when trouble comes? Witness for God. Can I tell you that day that that I had that accident, Brother Ron? They, they came and towed me, and the policeman, and and the policeman actually sighted me, which was hilarious. One guy said, you know when they don't sight you? I said, no. He said, when they end up in the ditch with you, that's the only time they don't sight you, amen? And so they drove me over to, it was a rental car. How about that? That came off my my insurance about seven years later, Pastor, amen. <laughs> I remember it was, it was a Jeep Trailblazer. It was crumpled up. It, it didn't look like anybody should have survived that. And we went in and we went to Hertz and the police officer said, hey, we got one here that's had a, had a wreck and it's yours. And the guy said, okay, good, we'll take care of it. We'll get you all set up. And he went out and looked at it and he came back in and he was as white as could be. He said, you were in that? I said, yes, sir. He said, you survived that? I said, yes, sir. I think I did, didn't I? Amen. I'm here. And I said, can I give you something? And there's about five or six people in there, Pastor. I said, well, apparently God wanted me here. Because otherwise, I'd still be on the highway, or on the side of the highway, one or the other. Amen. And I just started witnessing to people. Not, I, wouldn't, I didn't get up on the say, hey, everybody listen to me. You're all going to hell. I didn't do anything like that. I just was like, okay, God wants me here. God wants me here to witness to these people. Paul was here. Trouble came. And you know what he he did? He witnessed. On August 7th, 1557, six noble witnesses were burned at the stake. And with joy, they clapped their hands in the fire, being counted worthy to suffer for his name. John Johnson, age 34, a widower in prison with his three young children, was condemned to suffer in the fire with them. The triumph of joy in the fires of this widower and his children caused the bystanders to shout with admiration as they received the martyr's crown. May 26, 1558, two men, William Harrison, Richard Day, one woman, Christina George, suffered in Colchester. Fox in his book of martyrs wrote of them being settled in their places and chained unto their posts with the fire flaming fiercely around them. They, like constant Christians, triumphantly praised God in his name. Listen, ladies and gentlemen, when trouble comes into your life, Like Job, you could say, the Lord giveth, and the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Who did he say that to, Pastor? He said it to all those witnesses, all those people who came to him with bad news. Right in their presence, he said, God is still good. Get alone with God. Witness for God. Verses 24 through 26, look at it with me. I love this one. Paul saying, fear not, Paul. Here's what the angel of God said to Paul. Fear not, Paul, thou must be brought before Caesar, and lo, God hath given thee all them that sail with thee. And then Paul says that great verse, Wherefore, sirs, be of good cheer, for I believe God that it shall be, even as it was told me. Notice that word must. Must in verse 24. That Paul must be brought before Caesar. Verse 26, we must be cast on a certain island. Number three, listen, get alone with God, witness for God. Number three, trust the promises of God. That's what Paul did, pastor. He said, God told me everything's going to be all right. God told me, God told me we're all going to make it. Hey, ladies and gentlemen, I, I don't mean to be trite, but I've read the last chapter and we win. And you know, when I read about Joshua, pastor, taking over from Moses, and I read about what was said to him, where, where God said, As I was with Moses, so will I be with thee. And then at the end of the book of Joshua, I think it's 23, 14, he says, there hath not have aught failed of one promise that God hath made. Lieutenant Colonel Jeff Patton flew as an F-15 fighter pilot in Desert Storm. On the first night of the war, his mission was to escort a large formation of fighters in bombing a chemical weapons plant in northern Iraq. The date for Desert Storm was chosen because of the absence of moonlight and the high clouds helped the attacking allied fighters from being detected by enemy defenses. Flying in total darkness, the pilots became completely dependent upon their instruments. Shortly after crossing into Iraq, Colonel Patton's jet was locked onto by an Iraqi surface to air missile radar. He violently maneuvered his aircraft to break the radar lock on him. His maneuver successfully broke the lock, but it created a new problem. Those radical movements in the dark threw off the balance in his inner ear, which is what happens when a person gets dizzy or vertigo, causing him to become disoriented. His mind was telling him that his plane was climbing in a right turn. But when he checked his instruments, they indicated that he was in a 60-degree dive toward the ground. He was sure he was in a climb instead of a dive. And his mind was screaming at him to lower the nose of his F-15 and halt the climb. While his mind commanded him to correct the plane in one direction, his instruments instructed him to do the opposite. Because he was flying in total darkness... He had to decide quickly whether to trust his mind or his instruments. And his life and his aircraft depended on making the correct choice. Even though it took everything within him to overcome what his mind was telling him, he decided to trust his instruments. He rolled his wings level and pulled his F-15 upward, which drew seven times the force of gravity, pulling the aircraft out of its dive, It only took a few moments to realize that he had made the right decision. If he had lowered the nose of his jet like his mind was telling him, he would have crashed the plane, trusting his instruments saved his life. Immediately, he looked at his altimeter, which told him the elevation of his aircraft. He had narrowly escaped colliding with the mountains of Iraq by just 2,000 feet. What should we do when trouble comes into our lives? Trust the promises of God. Trust in the Lord with how much of thine heart? All All thine heart. And lean not unto thine own understanding. You know what? All these years, you know what I think of, brother and sister-in-law? All these years, I think, all these years later, when our pastor's son Eric died, I still don't understand that. That's 15 years. This, in a month or so. I don't understand that. I don't understand it. I think I'll still trust the Lord. He tells me, trust the Lord with all thine heart. Lean not unto thine own understanding. Listen, ladies and gentlemen, I'm here to tell you after 20 years of preaching this book, pastor, after almost 40 years of preaching this book, I think you'd say the same thing. You can trust the promises of God. Amen. You can trust, and especially in trouble. When you get in trouble, it's not the time to let dust grow on your Bible. Hmm? Get in your Bible. Amen. Trust the promises of God. Witness for God. Get alone with God. Oh, I love that, that hymn, Pastor. I think about it. How firm a foundation, ye saints of the Lord, is laid for your faith in his excellent word. What more can he say than to you he hath said, to you who for refuge to Jesus have fled. Fear not, I am with thee, O oh, be not dismayed, for I am thy God and will still give thee aid. I'll strengthen thee, help thee, and cause thee to stand, upheld by my gracious, omnipotent hand. When through the deep waters I call thee to go, the rivers of sorrow shall not overflow. I will be with thee, thy trouble to bless. And sanctify to thee thy deepest distress. When through fiery trials thy pathway shall lie. My grace all sufficient shall be thy supply. The flame shall not hurt thee. I only design thy dross to consume and thy gold to refine. The soul that on Jesus hath leaned for repose. I will not, I will not desert to its foes. That soul though all hell should desire to shake. I'll never, no never. No, never forsake. Listen, when trouble comes, the storms come, you can still trust God's word. When you don't know what to do, you can still trust God's word. When you're not sure how you're going to make it, you can still trust God's word. When trouble shakes you to the very core of who you are, you can still trust God's word. Get alone with God. Witness for God. Trust the promises of God. I like this. This is kind of unique. Look at verse 33. Verse 33. It says, And while the day was coming on, Paul besought them all to take meat, saying, This day is the fourteenth day that ye have tarried and continued fasting, having taken nothing. Now, that's a fast. Why go a day without food, and I think the world's coming to an end? 14 days, not a speck of food. By the way, who'd want food on a ship that's shaking all over the place, amen? But still, you need it, right? Wherefore, I pray you, verse 34, to take some meat, for this is for your health, and there shall not an hair fall from your head of any of you. And When they had thus spoken, he took bread and gave thanks to God in the presence of them all, and when he had broken it, he began to eat. You know what I would say when you're going through trouble, accept nourishment from God. When trouble comes into your life, accept nourishment from God. Here these sailors in the midst of stormy seas have now been without food for 14 days. When Paul counsels them not to worry, they'll make it safely to shore, but they needed to eat. Can I say this, ladies and gentlemen? When you're in trouble, there are some some ways that God nourishes you and wants to nourish you, but you have to accept it. The first way is through the word of God. The word of God has nourishment for us, but also the spirit of God, the spirit of God that indwells us. But can I say this as well? You know, when you're going through trouble, a nourishment that God will give you is through the people of God. Don't, listen to me, if trouble comes into your life, don't stay away from the house of God. That's exactly what the devil wants. He loves to get sheep away from the shepherd and the rest of the sheep. Oh, yeah, come over here. It's nobody really cares about you over there anyway. Just just come on over here. And then when he gets you all alone, he can devour you. You have to to accept it. There could have been some pastor that said, no, no, I don't, no, I'm not going to eat that. You have to accept it. Our God is a gentleman. He's a gentleman. And when you're going through trouble, you may think this, and you think, well, and I know that this is true. I know what the devil does. He puts his thumb on us. He said, nobody cares. That's a big, fat lie. There's people all around you that care. They just don't know. They just don't know. So I like that. I just accept nourishment from God again, it's kind of a a unique point there. Job 23, 12 says, neither have I gone back from thy commandment of his lips. I've esteemed the words of his mouth more than my necessary food. Psalm 19, 9 and 10, the fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, yea, than much fine gold, sweeter also than the honey in the honeycomb how sweet are the words to my taste, yea, they are sweeter than honey to my mouth. When trouble comes, it's not a time to get out of the Bible. It's not a time to get away from the people of God. It's a time to get in the Bible and get with the people of God and let them nourish you. By the way, read much of the Psalms was written during trouble. Trouble. Get along with God. Witness for God. Trust the promises of God. Accept nourishment from God. I like this, verse 35. And when he had thus spoken, he took bread and gave what? Thanks to God. Remember the blessings of God, number five. Remember the blessings of God. Here they are in the midst of the storm, cold, hungry, probably seasick. They're about to eat at Paul's direction, and Paul stops right in front of all 276 or 275 of them and says, Lord, thank you for your goodness. Thank you for this food that we're about to partake of. So many times when we go through troubles, we forget to thank God for how good he is to us. And I I, I saw this recently. I wrote it in my Bible, pastor. It's a great quote. I think it was Spurgeon who said it. We write our blessings in the sand and we write our troubles in marble. Everybody get that illustration? Aren't we that way? What happens to the sand? The, the, the sea comes and sweeps it all away. But boy, the marble, boy, we carve it in there, don't we? We ought to remember how good God's been to us. And, I, and again, going back to the beginning of the message in the introduction, uh, listen, trouble is a part of life. We live in a sin-cursed world. One day God's going to remove sin. But during this day, we live in trouble. And so remember the blessings of God. We can get so caught up in asking, why me, that we can forget how good God has truly been to us. One of my favorite writers is a writer named Vance Havner. I, I tell he's, he's one of the few writers, pastors, I say to any Christian, get anything he's written. I don't have to give any caveat. I don't have to say, watch out for this or be careful about this. He's a great writer, Vance Havner. He was one of the greatest preachers and wordsmiths of the 20th century, At the age of 72 years old, he lost his sweet wife, Sarah, of 33 years. In his last book published before his death in 1986, he wrote this. I think of a year that started out so pleasantly for my beloved and me. We had made plans for delightful months ahead together. Instead, I sat by her bedside and watched her die of an unusual disease. She expected to be healed but she died. Now all hopes of a happy old age together are dashed to the ground. I plod along with the other half of my life on the other side of death. My hand reaches for another hand now vanished. And I listen at night for the sound of a voice that is still. And I am tempted, tempted a thousand times to ask my God, why? You never need ask why, because Calvary covers it all. When before the throne we stand in Him complete, all the riddles that puzzle us here will fall into place, and we shall know in fulfillment what we now believe in faith. That all things worked together for good in his eternal purpose. No longer will we cry, my God, why? Instead, alas, will become hallelujah. All question marks will be straightened into exclamation points. Sorrow will change to singing and pain will be lost in praise. Trouble cannot rob us of eternal things. Get along with God. Witness for God. Trust the promises of God. Accept nourishment from God. Remember the blessings of God. Number six. Look at verse 18. And we, being exceedingly tossed with the tempest, the next day, what did they do? They lightened the ship. Now jump down to verse 38. And when they had eaten enough, they lightened the ship. Number six, when trouble comes into your life, get rid of excess baggage in your life. I'm not talking about literal stuff. I'm talking about a spiritual application of this. You have things in your life that just aren't that important, but they're taking up a lot of your life. Get rid of those things. Just get rid of those things. The Bible says in Hebrews 12, 1, wherefore seeing... We are also compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses. Let us lay aside every weight in the sin which doth so easily beset. Let us lay aside every weight. W.A. Criswell, great Bible expositor, in this passage he said, The things which we think are so important, things we covet so deeply and grasp them so endearingly in the face of great tragedy and trial turn to dust and ashes in our hands. What we thought we wanted is no longer appealing at all. To run our race well, we can't be weighted down with the things of the world. It doesn't mean you can't have things. It just means make sure things don't have you. You know, for a lot, I, listen, I know good Christians, pastor, that have a fishing boat. But I know Christians that the fishing boat has them. And they miss church on Sunday to, forgive me, go out on visitation. That's what they name their boat, visitation. Visitation. Or sometimes they name their boat church. Oh, I'm going to church. No, you're not. That thing has you. And you know what they had to realize? Look, if we're going to make it to shore, we're going to have to just get rid of some excess baggage. Number seven. Look at verse 43 and 44. But the centurion, willing to save Paul, kept them from their purpose. Beautiful Here, by the way, it's interesting if you study about centurions, every time they're used, pastor, they're mentioned positively. Every time, Roman centurion. It's interesting. But the centurion willing to save Paul kept them from their purpose and commanded that they which could swim should cast themselves first into the sea and get to land, and the rest, uh, some on boards and some on broken pieces of the ship, And so it came to pass that they all escaped safely to land. Ladies and gentlemen, if we can learn anything from nature, it's that storms do not last forever. They come and they go. You know what? Lastly, number seven, we need to do when storms come, we just need to hold on. Just forgive me, just hang in there. I think of my friend, Brother George Griffiths. He he preaches at a camp in Kentucky. And he always says, hang in there like a hair in a biscuit. (laughs) Kind of a gross thought. He said, Listen, I've come to the end of my rope. Tie a knot in it and hang on. Storms pass. They don't last forever. I think about that horrible storm we just had, Florence, down there. And it was horrible. I mean, some parts of you know, North Carolina you get 27 inches of rain in 24 hours. I can't even imagine such a thing. But you know what? Two days later, Brother Ron, blue sky. Blue sky. Hang in there. You going through trouble right now? Hang in there. I'm here to tell you, according to nature and according to God's word, trouble will not last forever. Weeping may endure for a night, But joy cometh in the morning. And ladies and gentlemen, for those of us that know Jesus Christ as our Savior, there is coming a morning, an eternal morning that will never end, where all mourning will be gone. What everybody has that nobody wants, trouble. So what do we do when trouble comes? Get along with God. Witness for God trust the promises of God, accept nourishment from God, remember the blessings of God, get rid of excess baggage for God, and hold on for God. Greg, and I can't even say this last name, this is a long Greek name, amen, Greg Asimakopoulos, and I'm probably saying that wrong, tells of a commuter flight to Portland, Maine, to Boston, the pilot, Henry Dempsey, heard an unusual noise in the rear of the small aircraft. He turned the controls over to his co pilot and he went back to investigate. He reached the tail section. The plane hit an air pocket and Dempsey was tossed against the rear door. He quickly discovered the source of the mysterious noise. The rear door had not been properly latched prior to takeoff, and it flew open, and he was instantly sucked out of the jet. The co-pilot, seeing the red light that indicated an open door, radioed the nearest airport, requesting permission to make an emergency landing. He reported that the pilot had fallen out of the plane and had requested a helicopter to search that area of the ocean. After the plane landed, they found Henry Dempsey holding on to the outdoor ladder of the aircraft. Somehow, he had caught the ladder, held on for 10 minutes as the plane flew at 200 miles an hour at an altitude of 4,000 feet, and then at landing, kept his head from hitting the runway. It took airport personnel several minutes to pry his fingers off the ladder. Things in life may feel turbulent, said Greg. You may not feel like holding on, but have you considered the alternative? Hang in there. Amen? Hang in there. Hold on for God. Get rid of excess baggage for God remember the blessings of God, accept nourishment from God, trust the promises of God, witness for God, get alone with God. What everybody has that nobody wants, trouble. Father, we thank you for the day that you give to us, and thank you for the privilege to preach to these precious people. Lord, I pray that you'd bless us now as we come to our invitation to such important time in a service. I pray that you'd be with each one, be with each person here. If there be a lost one here today that knows not Christ, I pray that today you would alarm them about their eternal soul and their lost condition, and that they would, Lord, trust you in simple faith, reach out to you. I pray for those here that perhaps are going through trouble. You'd help them. Pray for those, perhaps who know someone is going through trouble, that you would or help them even to come and pray for that person. Or we just pray you'd work your will now, as only you can. Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. Our dear sister plays softly a hymn of invitation.